Welcome back, everybody, to your creativity. We've got a, a special, not surprise, I've announced it. I didn't know why I said surprise. Special guests. Um, they are goat farmers. They are uh, reality stars. They are fun guys. I've got Dr. Brent Ridge and Josh Kilmer Purcell. Did I get that right? Well, welcome, you guys. I appreciate you taking your time away from your busy schedule uh, to talk with me today. Um, I just wanted to share you guys with our guests. Um, it's been a few years since you've been on TV, and I'm not sure how well-known you know, you are in the broad scape of things anymore, so I wanted to share that with people. Great. Thank you. Um, I don't know if there's ever... Um, talked about on the show or revealed on the show how did you guys meet i don't i i don't recall well we met um almost is it 20 years 19 years ago um in new york city uh the i always like to say the old-fashioned way uh online uh before there was um you know match.com or any of the apps or anything like that we were in aol chat rooms and um, started chatting and that's how we met up and uh, you know, being a good Southern Christian boy, I had never been on a date with a guy before. Uh, I was 22, had just moved to New York City to do my medical residency, and Josh had been living in the city for several years. Yeah, and and uh, he wouldn't go on a date. We were chatting, and he he refused to to meet up. So I started asking questions, uh, sort of leading questions, and figured out where he lived. I asked, I was like, Do you walk to work? Where do you work? How far do you walk? And then I figured out basically where he lived. And I said, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, I'm going to be at the subway stop by your house. And you're either going to be there or you're not. And he showed up and he was doing this like he was typing. So I knew it had to be him. <laughs> that, that was the code back then. <laughs> well, well, awesome. And um, you both, ha um, were you both um, working in the in the city at that point? Um uh, Brent, when did you? What were you doing at that time? Yeah, I, I had moved to New York City to do my medical residency at Columbia University, um, so I was a medical resident, and um, I was working in advertising. So I was creative director. Now, um, what led you from doing that to the goat farm? Yeah, you purchased the goat farm in two thousand seven. Correct. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yep. Yeah, we um, had, um, you know, both progressed in our careers. I ultimately went back to business school, uh, and after business school, went to work at Martha Stewart Living Omni Media, heading up um, a new division of the company devoted to health and wellness. Josh continued in advertising. Actually, had, while I was in business school, wrote his first New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. um, that was the trade-off. I'm like, I'm going to business school. You need to find something to occupy yourself. And so he wrote a bestseller, you know, <laughs> uh, as one does. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and every autumn we would go apple picking somewhere in upstate New York, um, just as a weekend getaway from the city. And so we would open up a, a map of New York State. This is the international sign for opening up in a map. And I, we would close our eyes and do this. And wherever our finger landed that's where we would find a local apple orchard and drive there for the weekend, apple pick, you know, just tour around and come back to the city. And um, in 2006, uh, our finger landed on Sharon Springs, New York. And so we found an apple orchard there, drove, 
um, to go to apple picking. And we, it's, we sort of actually, you and I remember it slightly different. I remember getting lost in Sharon Springs. And um, well, our finger was in that vicinity, right. and then maybe we got lost. So we sort of got lost there and, and wound up spending the night at a hotel in town. It's a really beautiful little town, 547 people. It's almost a ghost town now. Um, used to be a huge spa town in the last century. Um, there's one hotel open. We, we spent the night, um, just had a great time. And then the next day, driving back to the city, we came across. Uh, the farm that we eventually bought. It was just this beautiful farm. I called it a Fisher Price farm. It was like red barn, blue sky, green grass. And, uh, and the farm was built by a gentleman named William Beekman in, in the eight, year 1802. So that's how our company eventually got its name. We didn't plan on starting a company. It was going to be our weekend. It's going to be a weekend getaway. So we were going to, um, you know, come up every weekend from the city, have our little garden, harvest some food. And we had actually started, that's when we first started our blog. Um, was it because you know 2006 everybody had a blog and so we're like okay we're going to start this blog and every Friday night when we got on the train to head up to the farm we did the blog post called two uh, to uh, and so here's everything we're going to do this weekend on the farm all the chores etc and then uh, on the way back to the city on the train on Sunday evening we would do the from version of the weekend and here's what we actually got accomplished and that was the start of the blog. And that's all we were going to do. It was going to be our weekend getaway, and we were going to write a blog. And we got a, a letter in our mailbox um, from a man named Farmer John. And he was a local guy, and he was losing his the place where he was farming. And he said, I've got 80 goats. You guys just bought an empty farm. What if I come? There's another little house in the farm. He said, what if I come and live on the farm with my goats? I'll help take care of the property. And and it just seemed like a, you know, a, you know, a fun idea and it'd be fun to have some animals there that we don't have to take care of because we were going back and forth. So he moved in and- So if you can imagine yeah. two gay guys from the city who thought, oh my goodness, we'll have this petting zoo and we don't even have to do anything for it. You know, our friends are gonna love it when they come to visit. Um, but it was just very um, fortuitous that John took that chance to write us that note, you know, ask perfect strangers, you know, for this huge favor, a life-changing favor. Yeah. Because um, about a year after he moved to the farm, we both lost our jobs in the recession in 2008. My whole division at Martha Stewart collapsed. Uh, Josh was a partner in advertising agency by that point, and um, he lost his job. And, and we, we had started making goat milk soap uh, with a neighbor, just sort of almost as a kind of a hobby. Um, just as a fun pastime, right, but yeah. then after we lost our jobs, we realized we needed to, we needed to somehow pay for this mortgage, you know, and so we decided to, that was really the basis of the business, Bigman 18 and 2. Well, that's all we had. We, you know, we coded, we learned how to code a website, um, and Brent actually went uh, back to Martha and went on her show, and we, we sort of launched the company, and he made soap on her show, and that was our very first big e-commerce day. Um, oh, you know, for those people who are possibly listening who maybe weren't even born during the recession or too young to remember what the recession was like, particularly in New York City, um, you know, which is, you know, financial capital, media capital. All right. When the recession hit and so many of our friends were out of work, I mean, literally like, thousands and thousands of people just in New York City were out of you know, work. You just couldn't even foresee 
how you would ever find a job again, just because there were so many talented people out of work and looking for jobs. And so, you know, I think people, when we tell our story about being out of our jobs and like being desperate, um, we really were desperate because we just could not see how we were going to get out from under it, given I mean, yeah. given how many people were also out of jobs at the time. And I did, I went back and, and wound up getting a, um, a job in the city and was commuting, you know, during the week, I would go down to the city and, and work. So we, we had that income coming in, but it was really scrambling to get by. I, rem I remember calculating, I said, if, if we can ever get to $800 in orders a day, so quarters, we could pay the mortgage for both properties, the mortgage and, and utilities. Because they're like, we can grow our food, we can do these other things, but we have to get that mortgage covered. Um, and at the at the very start of the business, uh, Farmer John was working another job, so he would go do uh, data input for an insurance company during the day, and then come home and try to do the goats in the evening. So we were all we were all just kind of hustling, trying to trying to make it happen. So what what caused the jump from you guys to just be solely doing doing uh, Beekman? Well, it was it really it was. An evolution. So I yeah. I spent five years um, after I had gotten a job again, going back and forth. During that time, we got some. We started getting some press about launching our business and learning how to farm. It was it was kind of a juicy story in the time 2009 2010. Two gay New York City guys, you know, lost their job in the recession. Big city guys trying to do it over in the country. Um, so we got good press. We got a great New York Times article. We got a little Vanity Fair thing. Then that led to the television show, our television show, Fabulous Beekman Boys, um, which really, you know, is sort of the beginning of the height of the reality years. And it really was tailor-made, you know, like two fancy pants city guys living in the country, learning how to farm, Farmer John, down to earth. I mean, it was like almost like the characters wrote themselves. Um, and so, so... It, it was an evolution. I was working in the city. I was. We were doing the TV job when I or the TV show whenever I was there on the weekend. He was Brent was trying to build the, you know, the soap business. And um, you know, people always ask you know about the TV show, and I know you want to talk about that. Um, you know, we never went out with the idea of doing a TV show. That was never our goal. Um, you know, and we never even wanted to be the public faces of our company. We always wanted Beekman eighteen oh two to be an idea and a philosophy right. um, of how you treat people and how you treat yourself. But when somebody comes up and says, you know, you want a TV show, like it's, it's like a 30 minute commercial for your business every week. So and we remember in that conversation when they were pitching this idea to us, um, Discovery Network, um, we said, well, um, you know, this, you have to also remember that even though we saw the opportunity in it and what it could mean to our business to have this show, it was also at the time when um, Honey Boo Boo was on air. Um, Swamp King, Swamp King. Like all these sort of make fun of rural people. Um, and so we 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 said, okay, well, we don't want. We're not going to do a show if you're just going to make fun of the rural people. Um, right. We said right. we will do the show. We will be the butt of the joke, but you have to make all of the people of our community look like the heroes in the show. Um, because in our lives, they truly were the heroes. You know, they were the ones who helped us start our business, who helped us learn how to run things on a farm, like how to start raising our chickens. They really were the heroes in our life at that time. And we wanted to make sure that if we were doing the show, um, 
it would reflect that. I would say that I give a lot of credit to the producers and to the network um, for our show, which which we only did for two two seasons because um, we didn't. It, reality TV is can get really ugly, and, and as you as it gets more popular, you get pushed into situations you don't want to be in. Um, but they they did a really good job, as did we, as did everyone around us, of making a show that really documented this this odd situation and, and didn't exploit it. Um, and so I think that's why it became this little cult classic thing that people still come to Sharon Springs and people still, you know, download both seasons and watch it because it was really a sweet show. And then people remember um, during the first season of the Fabulous Pigma Boys, um, when Josh was commuting back and forth and I was on the farm full time, um, very stressful on the relationship um, because of that distance and the stresses, the monetary stresses. And um, we had a conversation during that first season um, how much it would take for us for Josh to be up there full time. And, you know, when we originally made the pact, OK, Josh is going to have to go back to the city and get a job because we didn't have health insurance. We needed health insurance. And we said, OK, well, it'll only be one year. You know, like we'll only have to make this sacrifice of being apart for one year. But it's, you know, it's what has to be done. Well, that one year turned into five years um, because if you're, you know, as any small business owner will know, there it always costs more to start a business than you think it's going to. You're investing every dime that you have into growing that business. Um, and, you know, we were not only trying to do that, but also trying to pay off a million dollar mortgage on the farm. And we just could never seem to get ahead. And so in that first season of the show, Josh said, Okay, well, um, we're going to have to. It, let's be realistic. We're, it's going to take us getting a million dollars before we could afford for both of us to be here on the farm working on this business because that's what the mortgage on the farm was, and we could not grow the business and pay the mortgage on the farm just on selling soap. And that's really how divine intervention happened, and we got in the amazing race. Yeah, we. Uh, that's the only we, season I've watched it, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and the way that came about was that when our first cookbook came out, um, we were doing a cookbook signing um, in California at the Santa Monica Public Library. And this woman, nice uh, older woman came up to us and she wanted her book signed. Uh, and she, she said, you know, I love your show, Beekman Boys. My neighbor and I get together every week and we watch it. That's a sweet show. Um, and, and then she said, and my neighbor is the head of CBS television, reality television. And Brent's first thing out of his mouth was, why aren't we on the amazing race? Cause I love the amazing race. And she went back and she asked her neighbor and, and the, by, by the time we got home to Sharon Springs, the phone rang and it was the, the casting agent for the amazing race and said, we heard you want to run. So it was just a very fortuitous, the entire sort of, you know, the, the struggle leading up to that uh, amazing race opportunity. And again, we never, ever thought we would win the amazing race ever. That was, but we, but did, we, we did see that as the opportunity right, to yeah. you know, even get more coverage to grow the business. And hopefully that would help us grow the business enough to hit that million dollar mark and get Josh to the farm full time. So what were some of your experiences on the show that um, were memorable to you? And the race, amazing race, yeah. Um, it uh, 
it, it's exhausting. Everybody, everybody <laughs> always says like, what's your favorite thing about the amazing race? And I said, my only favorite thing was winning. Um, <laughs> Here's the thing about it is, it is as hard or harder than it's harder than you, than it ever looks on TV. It's much harder. It's not about the challenge. It's not about eating, you know, gross things or falling off, a, you know, jumping off a cliff or climbing. I mean, at, anybody can do that. I, CBS is not going to let you die. You know, you, so um, those aren't the hard part. The hard part is that it's three and a half weeks of constant travel without knowing where you're going to sleep. If you're going to have a hotel, if you're going to have food, you're when sleeping, you can go to the bathroom, when you go to the bathroom, when you're sleeping on, on airport floors. So the hard part is really in between what you see on TV and, and the endurance it takes to race around the world with no money. And invariably, um, you know, if you if you watch the race over multiple seasons, you'll see that it's it's usually not a challenge or you know a situation that eliminates a team. It's the breakdown of the team dynamics between the two people because you are they do thrust you in such stressful situations and you're sleep deprived and food deprived and so it just makes your emotions so superficial anyway. And I knew going into it, um, you know, Josh has amazing strengths in terms of like uh, puzzle solving, um, uh, logical things, um, things like that. And I knew Go that. <laughs> and but but I also know that he doesn't um, work well in situations that are super stressful or where there's uncertainty. And so I knew that we could win if I could keep his stress level in check. And so I knew that going into it, that um, our strength as a couple that's been in a relationship for, at that point, 15 years. Yeah. Which is knowing which, how to keep his stress buttons, level controlled. Not to push. Yeah. Okay, that's what yeah. So um, working with, with Martha Stewart, um, what kind of situations were fun there? Well, you know, I love Martha. We have always gotten along very well um, because we're both kind of perfectionists. Um, and, you know, I, I started working at Martha to head up that division after I wrote her a letter when she was in prison um, saying, you know, because at the time I was working on faculty at Mount Sinai Hospital in the Department of Geriatrics. And we were creating a new uh, center for the care of older adults. And um, I wanted a benefactor. I needed a benefactor for the center. And so I wrote her a letter when she was in prison outlining why she should be the role model for the baby boom generation. As they're getting older, they need a great role model. And, you know, at the time, I think Martha was 60. I think she was turning 60. Um, and, you know, so productive. I mean, her productivity is legendary. Yeah. And she saw the idea. Like, she's like, yeah, I, I, there does need to be a teacher for this. And, you know, she's such a good teacher. Um, and so as soon as she got out of prison, um, we had a meeting. And she said, I want to do this. And so she funded the center, the, which became the Martha Stewart Center for Living at Mount Sinai. Uh, which is still the largest outpatient center for the care of older adults in America. Um, and um, then the company decided they wanted to have a health and wellness focus. And so they hired me to, to head that. Um, and it was such a great learning experience for me um, coming out of business school um, because that company 
was so multifaceted because it was in product development, it was in media, uh, it was kind of at at the time at the forefront of what was happening in digital. Um, and so for me, being able to have exposure to all of those different types of businesses really laid the groundwork for Beekman 1802 because we operate in those same businesses. You know, we are in product development and we're in um, content creation, um, social media. Um, and so it was just a great, um, a great platform for, for me to learn all of those things. And at the same time, as we said earlier, we never want to be the, the faces of Beekman 1802. Um, and part of that strategy came from the time at Martha because we're like, okay, well, you know, if the company is so tied to just one person uh, or one person's visage, visage or one person's idea, ideas, um, you know, what happens when that person no longer exists? Um, how does the company perpetuate itself? And so we started thinking 10 years ago, what does Beekman 1802 look like without Brent and Josh? And so we've always, from the very beginning, planned a company that did not have to rely on us. Now, Josh, you also had an interesting um, phase of your life. And um, we've had a drag queen on the podcast before. Uh, how long did you do that for? Uh, yeah, I was a drag queen um, probably about five or six years in, in my 20s. Uh, and... It really started when I'm. Uh, it, it started in when I lived in Atlanta, but when I moved to New York uh, and I was working in advertising as a junior art director, it's very hard, you know, to make ends meet in the as a junior art director in New York City. So I, I began doing drag at night um, for two reasons: one, it was a little bit of extra money, and two, it was I could afford to go out and so I could get into the clubs. So um, I did that for uh, that five six years, and uh, it was. It was very interesting. I was very, I was brought up in a conservative, not a mean conservative, but just small C conservative uh, home in the Midwest. And so I wasn't very adventurous in life or I wasn't raised to be very adventurous. And so being a drag queen is like being a clown. You put on a mask and you can, you can go out and do things that you wouldn't normally have the courage or the bravery to do. So those, those five years, um, you know, we're, we're a wild time and I met people I never would have met. And, and, uh, it really, uh, it just broadened my horizons. Um, so really nothing on the planet can, can, uh, surprise me or, or knock me off kilter. I've, I've seen most everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the drag queen we had on, uh, Jason Cosmo, he, he speaks similar to that. Um, he does shows two, three times a month here. And they sell mm -hmm. out the month before, so um, just a little side note for you. <laughs> um, so um, what else? Now, if, do you guys still have the magazine, uh, the the Almanac? Yeah, we still we still publish the Almanac um, every, every season, so spring, summer, winter, fall. Um, our company, Beekman eighteen oh two, has grown exponentially in the last few years. Um, a big part of that is due to TV retail being on TV shopping, which is much huger than we ever, ever thought. We weren't TV shoppers before we started selling on TV, and it's it's a massive audience. So now we have have 130 
employees between New York and Florida. Um, and I think what, what, that's one of the things that we're really proud of is as we built this company, we've been able to support, we built, we, we're still based in Sharon Springs and, and Schenectady, in, Schenectady in New York. Um, and we've been able to build a, 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 a pretty good sized company in an area that rural area that really needed jobs. And, and it's not just, not, uh, not just factory jobs, nothing wrong with factory jobs, but, but um, everything from digital marketing to merchandising to photography. Uh, photography. So we're able to, in this rural area, um, create creative. jobs for a creative class. Yeah. And you have the mercantile is the brick and mortar, right? And there's just one of those? Yeah, so we have the, the Mercantile store in Sharon Springs, which is sort of the flagship headquarters for the brand. Um, then we have the warehouse in Sharon Springs. We have our office in Schenectady, and we have another office or warehouse in uh, Orlando that helps us service the uh, TV shopping. Um, and uh, was it last year, the Happy Happy Place products? Mm -hmm. what, so, what are so, those? Yeah, we... we, we um, I think we're best known for our beauty and our skincare products, our goat milk soap and goat milk lotions. Uh, and one of the one of the things that have made them so popular and so well received is that we take as many chemicals out of them as possible. They're like really pure skincare, really pure pure beauty products. So uh, we wanted to do that for home cleaning as well. It's another category that of course, has a lot of chemicals in it. We so we wanted to create a line of natural plant-based cleaners. Yeah, and we actually think, you know, the environment that you create around yourself is part of your beauty regimen as well, because right. anything that you bring into your home is winding up on your skin. So, you know, we can we can provide products to cleanse your skin and moisturize your skin and serums and whatnot. But then if you're, you know, laying on or sitting on your floor, or you're laying against your sofa or your bed sheets that you've washed recently and they're just covered with chemicals, then you're just putting all those things right back onto your skin. So we wanted to create these solutions for the home that also enable people to get the chemicals, as many chemicals as possible out of their home. You know, the, you know, as a physician, I always think that, you know, we've just become so exposed to so many different chemical toxins in our daily environments because it's, they're sprayed on everything, you know, yeah. the foods we eat, the, the furniture, the clothes we buy, you know, just covered with all these chemicals and, you know, each little exposure, like whatever this company sprayed on my shirt before I bought my shirt, that whatever that little amount of chemical is probably not going to do any damage. But the layers and layers and layers of all the chemicals on everything, they add up to something big. And I do think that those chemicals, we are starting to see the changes in people's personal health because of the layers of these chemicals. You know, we're seeing increases in endocrine problems. We're seeing increases in cancers. Um, and there has got to be a relationship to the number of chemicals that we've exposed ourselves to. Exactly. Now, uh, we've just got a few minutes left. You guys are um, busy, booked back to back today. <laughs> so I just want to ask a couple of bonus questions. And then if you guys want to say anything else that we didn't cover that you want to share. Uh, the first bonus question is, who is your favorite Muppet and why? Oh, my nose. Now, clarify from the Muppet Show or any Jim any Henson Muppet creation. Any Jim Henson creation. Well, it's uh, it's uh, Sadler and 
Waldorf. Waldorf. Yeah. yeah, the yes. critics. Yeah. Yes. Because that's pretty much that is you. That is who I am. Yeah. He is like one of those old men in the balcony. I'm like both of them. Um, <laughs> I would say, oh, it's toss. Um, I love Miss Piggy um, just because she was so out there and such a diva. And obviously I married, you know, Miss Piggy. <laughs> uh, but I also love Kermit, particularly when he sings uh, It's Not Easy Being Green. Like he's such an emotional um, core and like so tapped into his emotions. Yeah. I also love Oscar the Grouch. I just love them all. I'm a, big, I'm a big Muppet fan, if you can. Cookie Monster. I love them all. Yeah, I love them all too. That That's why I put this question in, and everybody either are all in for Muppets or like I've never liked them. So it's it's fun to hear people's answers. Uh, the other bonus question is, who would play you in the movie of your life and why? Ooh. Oh, now, wow. is this just on how they look or like who we like as a person? It's whoever, whoever. So mine really is only one one option. It's Beyonce. Um, That's I mean, the only option? The only option. <laughs> who, who, who else? I've never who heard Who else could go from drag queen to cat exec to writer to farmer beauty business? Executive, um, can you name one Beyonce song? Beyonce, <laughs> Josh likes the idea of Beyonce. Um, let me think who would play me? I would say Jim Carrey. People do say I look like Jim Carrey, but um, I would say for Josh's benefit because I know who his celebrity crush is, oh, is Rob Lowe. So um, I would say Rob Lowe would pay me just so that Josh could say he made out with Rob Lowe at some point. Well, Beyonce. Beyonce and Rob Lowe. I would, make out, I would yeah. make out with Beyonce. Yeah. For sure. Who wouldn't? Beyonce's yeah. awesome. Now, is there anything that we covered that you'd, that you'd like to share? No, I just think, you know, our whole company um, is about making people happy and about um, – we call all of our customers neighbors. And so we all often talk about building the neighborhood and surrounding yourself with the people that you want to be surrounded with. And they don't have to necessarily be the person right next to you. It doesn't have to be a family member. It's just um, surrounding yourself with good people and you want to emulate those people in your life. Um, and we just want to encourage everybody to just be kinder to people and, um, you know, Whatever you put out in the world comes back to you. And um, we just want people to encourage to, you know, be better, be better people, be kinder to people. That's just good business sense, taking care of the people that are taking care of you, essentially. That's right. That's right. Now, on social media and everywhere, where can people find you? They can find us on any of the platforms at Beekman1802boys. Easy as that. Well, yep. thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. You guys have a good day and get some rest sometime. <laughs> Thanks. It's been our pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. The podcast is done, man. <laughs>